Hello, and welcome to the Root Pedersen podcast series on the circular economy. My name is Kevin Bradley, and I'm a senior advisor at Root Pedersen Public Affairs, following all things related to the EU agenda on resources management and product policy. In this series, we're taking a look at the different steps and measures the EU is taking to make its economy low carbon, greener, circular, resilient, resource secure, as well as resource and energy efficient. One of the promised initiatives in the EU Circular Economy Action Plan was around the promotion of sustainable products, the Sustainable Products Initiative. Policymakers and some stakeholders believe that if we can influence how products are designed and manufactured, we can help reduce the resource, carbon, and environmental footprint of these products. In addition, we can increase recycling to create greater circularity of the products that we consume and use. The European Commission published a very significant proposal for a new regulation aimed at encouraging the eco-design of sustainable products. And today we're going to take a close look at this proposal from the point of view of the European recycling industry. And to help us with that, I'm really pleased to be joined on this podcast by Emmanuel Katrakis, Secretary General of the European Recycling Industries Confederation, URIC. Emmanuel joined URIC in September 2014 at the inception of the European Recycling Industries Confederation. So he's been there from the very beginning. And since then, he's worked on developing URIC as an organization, ensuring it acts as the trusted interface between the recycling industry and European institutions. A graduate in European law from the College of Europe in Bruges, prior to joining URIC, Emmanuel worked with an international law firm and with other trade associations, where he gained his experience in association management. So Emmanuel, you're very welcome to the podcast and thank you for taking the time to share your views on the role of the proposed regulation for sustainable products. Thank you very much, Kevin, for, for having me. I look forward to that broadcast. If I could begin with a general question. What's the current state of the European recycling industry given the recent COVID-19 pandemic and more recently the conflict between Russia and Ukraine, which is, as we see, impacting the EU in several critical areas such as food production and energy. Is the recycling industry impacted by this? Yeah, sure. I think during the, the COVID-19 pandemic, we saw in Europe and also globally that recycling and the recycling industry is an essential industry. Uh, a lot of economic sector had to shut down. And across member states, there was a, a consensus that obviously we supported that waste management and recycling is absolutely vital for the well-functioning of societies, of cities, but also for the industry. That's why we were one of the few sectors that benefited from exemptions to continue in, in many areas uh, the work, which is absolutely essential to collect, sort and recycle waste into uh, raw materials. Obviously, the recycling industry suffered from the COVID-19 pandemic because the demand dropped. And then we had the exact opposite with the economy that restarted after the, the, the one year of lockdowns across the globe. And we have the opposite. We have rather high commodity prices. Uh, we have a sustained demand and we are 
living in an environment which is uh, changing extremely rapidly. And obviously the war in Ukraine that uh, Russia declared is obviously uh, having an impact that goes beyond recycling. That also goes in terms of issues uh, linked to uh, security of supply of certain raw materials, which makes actually our industries even more critical than before. I think that also shows the benefit of uh, having a circular economy and trying really to make that transition happen. Because one of the objectives of transition towards a circular economy is also to be able to be more resilient when it comes to, to, to raw materials. And here, the recycling industry has a, an essential role to play. So right now, with rather high commodity prices, very constrained markets in Europe and beyond, and a high level of uncertainty that has to do with uh, uh, the world, which is evolving also very rapidly. In a sense, particularly the Ukraine crisis is accelerating the need to really take steps to make more concrete the circular economy. Well, from our side, there was no need uh, for, but indeed it confirms the need to go, I would say, faster. That's an evidence. Very interesting. Let's just turn to the SPI because I want to get your take on this. Uh, Stakeholders calling the Commission's recent proposal to expand and extend the scope of its eco-design approach to all products a significant measure to support the circular economy. How does the European recycling see this uh, new proposal? Uh, for us, it's a very important one. It's something that we have been supporting since years. You don't have a circular economy without eco-design. Um, it's, a, it's an old study already that the Commission had published, uh, saying that more or less 80% of the uh, environmental um, uh, impacts of a product comes from uh, its uh, very design. One of the key problems that we are facing today is the fact that there is very little connection between the design phase and the end-of-life phase. And most of the products that are being marketed today from the ones that we are using every day from the highly complex ones are designed to fulfill the consumer's demand, to fulfill needs or to have different features for that purpose, but they usually completely omit to look at basically the end of life phase, how they can be repaired, reused and recycled when uh, they, they reach the end of life phase. And this is why um, expanding the scope of the uh, current eco-design directive was absolutely essential. And to be frank, what the commission published is uh, a positive step forward, but the devil lies in the details and we will uh, be working very intensively in both in terms of prioritization and in terms of looking forward to uh, the implementing acts, because what matters is what is going to be adopted at the end. And then the uh, first prioritized product categories or intermediate product categories uh, for which there will be a need, obviously, to improve the design. We cannot move towards a circular economy without eco-design and eco-design that goes beyond energy efficiency and that really touches upon resource efficiency, namely recycling recyclability, recycled content, and all the other criteria that the Commission put forward in its uh, proposal. Okay, so two things. There's a, a lot is being left to the implementation phase. Yeah. And, and I, I do agree with you. It is time to uh, really address the broader sustainability of products and the recyclability and the material use in that needs to be addressed because well, we all pick up products and we wonder, is this recyclable? Instead of asking the question all the time, we should be sure that this happens as part of the design process. Can I turn to another aspect of the regulation? For some stakeholders, this is going to be really important. Uh, One side will say, we want pure 
material streams, no hazardous substances. Whereas another side will say, well, hold on a second, you're just going to have to use some of these substances simply because they're essential for functionality, or they just appear because over time, between the time the product is made and between the time it's recycled, it becomes a substance of concern. For the first time, this phrase, substances of concern, is actually defined. It includes the classical substances that we know based on hazard properties, CMRs, PBTs, etc., but also substances that negatively affect the reuse and recycling of materials in the product which is present. I wasn't going to draw you into another discussion that's going on right now in the parliament about POPs and waste, but this is an interesting point where they intersect because POPs are legacy substances which are in products and which, unfortunately, the recycling industry has to deal with it. Mm. How do you see this playing out in the future? Well, I think you, you mentioned something that is essential, which is time. As recyclers, we are going to take a waste and turn it into a new material after, obviously, it has been produced and placed on the market. And sometimes the time between the placing on the market of a product and its recycling is going to last one, two, three, or even 10 or 15 years. And even decades when we speak about construction demolition waste. So that's why we, we, we need to have um, a science-based approach to those issues. On one hand, it's a matter of, of protection of consumers, make sure that we are not going to be perceived or not going to be as an industry placing back substances of very high concern back on the market through the recycling. On the other hand, all the question is how the assessment is being made. And what uh, we see and sometimes we deplore is that we are paying far too much attention on the hazard and not sufficiently on the risk. And as a recycling industry, together with many other industries, we believe that obviously we need to look at the hazard properties, but we also need to look when it comes to the use at whether the risk that those substances may pose can or not be managed. And especially for those substances which do have a functionality and for which the substitution might be either extremely difficult or even worse in terms of basically alternatives. Can I turn to another important aspect that already made its first appearance in the battery regulation, and that's the digital passport. The commission seems really keen on digital passports. This is all linked to information in the value chain, communication with uh, different consumers and so on. Just curious, uh, from the recycling side, what you guys think of the um, digital passport? It's going to try and capture lots of data. Is that going to help you? Again, a tricky but excellent question. What is important for the public to understand is that the recycling industry is an industry. The products that are being placed today on the market are built by product manufacturing industries, and they are not built by hand. There is a lot of automation. There are obviously a lot of workers, but there is a lot of automation to make sure that we can produce them in volumes to meet a demand in modern societies, but also in developing countries. We are also using more and more a certain degree of uh, automation and a lot of machines to make sure that we can recycle at scale end-of-life products. We are not recycling the end-of-life products product by product. We are recycling them in huge quantities, both because we have to uh, keep up with the fact that they are 
arriving into uh, our facilities. And second, because we have to deploy very advanced sorting techniques and recycling techniques to be able to recycle them in large volumes. We see more interest in the skill database to foster substances of very high concern that might pose a problem to recycling rather than an operational added value when it comes to those end-of-life products arriving into our recycling facilities because they're going to be recycled by waste streams. So e-waste are going to be recycled in e-waste facilities with a different type of e-waste categories. Obviously, a fridge is not going to be recycled like a mobile phone. So the digital product passports right now, we still have to brainstorm internally to see what could be the added value. I understand that for certain waste streams, there might be an added value. For others, it might be very limited. On the labeling, like packaging, it makes a lot of sense to have a labeling that is going to empower the consumer to know how resource efficient is um, the product that he's going to procure. Uh, For instance, if you buy a washing machine today, you know how energy efficient is your washing machine. You have absolutely no idea as to whether your washing machine scores high when it comes to recyclability, though we know how we can improve the recyclability of washing machine, whether the washing machine is using recycled materials like recycled product or recycled steel, uh, recycled metals in general. And this actually is a real added value because it breaches obviously the recyclability and the resource efficiency requirements that we expect as when it comes to recyclability and material use with consumer awareness. So to be in a position for the consumer to make a well-informed choice. We also believe that we need more incentives to uh, make sure that the uh, positive externalities that recycling brings is better priced in is better internalizing prices, which is not the case today. Also, we hope that we could make a link at a stage between resource efficiency labeling and obviously incentives, taxation that could be applied on those products as it has been done in the past for energy efficiency. On digital product passports, Within Eurek, we have different branches looking at metal carbon, e-waste, textile paper, plastic recycling, packaging, and technical plastics. So um, saying that digital product passport is going to be relevant for all streams or not is too premature. But labeling, for sure, that can play an important role for some streams to empower the consumer in making the right decision and hopefully making the link with uh, incentives that are absolutely needed to uh, level the playing field and support circular value chains. I just have one little supplementary question. There is a big push for repairability, a right to repair. Sometimes we see that the cost of repairing is is prohibitive. You go down, you say, oh, I'm sorry, but it's going to cost you 300 euros to repair something that costs, say, 700 euros. So the relative value of repairing is diminished. Uh, You think, okay, I'll buy a new one. The idea of more repairability, that's probably a good thing. Would that, though, impact the supply of material going to recyclers if more was diverted to repairability? We never made such an assessment, to be frank. And as a recycling industry, we are not going to lobby against repairability at all. We have already discussed that internally, that it's obviously important to support more repairability of products. There are obviously two caveats. It's uh, when uh, repairing a there is a trade-off to be made to make sure that products are not going to be repaired indefinitely because they are going to have a much higher impact that if they are removed from the market, recycled, and replaced by uh, new products. When it comes to um, uh, fostering more repair, there is no uh, uh, concern from the recycling industry. I might even say that some of the dismantlability requirements that would support repair 
are also going to su support recycling and vice versa. We are very much focused on the end of life phase, and it goes without saying that during the use phase, more has to be done as well to support resource-efficient products. That's a pretty good way to encapsulate it. I have a final question, assuming that the Commission manages to keep to its legislative timetable for this. Do you think that it will achieve the expected impact, ensure high-quality recycling of products, and increase recycled content? I wish I could have a crystal ball, but we are going to do everything we can to make sure that it actually happens because uh, we cannot have a circular economy without eco-design for recycling. It simply won't work at all. We, we need to make sure that the products we place on the market today are more recyclable. And again, this is a message. We as recyclers, we are going to do everything we can to achieve that target. But on the other hand, we obviously want to work with the industry to make sure that we understand their constraint, to try to have a win-win situation. We are going, obviously, to call for binding recyclability criteria at product level when the, the product categories are going to be prioritized and also binding recycled content targets because we are not going to be able to compete on a level playing field with extracted raw materials if we do not have a certain amount of obligation. And we saw that with packaging, when you put targeting recycled content targets for certain types of materials which have extremely low uh, amount of recycling is going to boost investment into technologies and going to scale up capacities is going to enable those materials to be competitive with virgin materials and at the end of the day it's going to be a win-win for us as a recycling industry for the consumer who obviously is aspiring to more sustainability and for the industry because by scaling up capacities we are going to be able to offer more volumes at a better price and obviously with a higher quality standardization when you produce more volumes uh, usually you are also more constant in the quality of the output that you produce for us, it's an absolutely essential proposition from the European Commission that we very much support, and we are going to support a, a very ambitious implementation. That is a pretty clear and emphatic set of expectations. I think that's exactly where we have to go uh, with this uh, discussion and also to get to those concrete types of measures that you mentioned. So with that, uh, I'll conclude and thank you very much again for joining us on this podcast. Thank you so much for having me this afternoon. Thank yeah. you.